Hallelujah. Thank you, Colin. Two things. Surrender. Above all, always, and every day. In that first song, Into the Holy of Holies, I got to do that study on the, the tabernacle on Facebook. How many people don't fully surrender? How many people stay stuck in the outer court, never realizing the full benefits of knowing Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Well, thank you, Colin, for some more tears. Whoops. Thank you. Still feel it? Okay. <clears throat> so, tonight's going to be a little more positive. Um, I know, uh, well, we'll get to that at the end, but it, it's going it, to come back around to typical John. So, um, gosh. So tonight we're going to start off, the sermon is called Chosen and Called. And no, sorry, it's not about a particular TV show. But it's about God choosing you, choosing us. We take joy every day in knowing that we were chosen by the only true and living God the God of the universe. Jeremiah 10.10 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Amen. <clears throat> Should be an enormous encouragement speaking to the remnant that we have been fully known chosen and called out of a bewildered persecuting unbelieving hostility growing world the adversaries may seem many they may seem powerful numerous and dangerous they may even seem dominant. Some aspects you could almost say that evil seems to be dominating right now. But look again at who you are. You are God's chosen.
So I'm sure we all have experienced, and I'm really shook up tonight. Um, Pastor Rod this morning, I guess is still feeling it. So I'm sure we can all remember many times in our lives when we were chosen. I go back to school because I, I did not have a very good school life. Being heavy set um, was was even for my size. Being tall, uh, I was still always picked upon because um, I, I mummered a lot. I guess I still do actually, and uh, and I was very 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 obese. So um, I remember how good it was when I got picked for something. So. Something such as when it would benefit others because of my size. Not because they liked me or because they actually wanted to pick me, but just because it benefited them. But even knowing that, I still felt such joy in knowing that they chose me today. So things like dodgeball, flag football, tug of war, you know, things that I can, I'm an anchor, right? So, Red Rover, uh, <laughs> teeter-totter was one they usually didn't like to choose me for, though. <laughs> in basketball, despite I was the tallest one in my class, I just never could dribble or shoot a ball. So, it was such a feeling when the other kid, your peers, would choose you. who you wanted so desperately to accept you and be friends with you. When they would choose you over others, would make your day enough to go home and tell mom and dad that, hey, they picked me today to play this. Then later in life, maybe you went to college or you learned a skill or a trade. And you were chosen above all the others in the long list of applicants for a job that you really wanted. And how excited and happy you were that you got that job, that you worked hard and you deserved to get that job. And then even greater than that is when you met your significant other. Through all the courting and dating, all the rituals of getting to know each other, until that day finally comes when, unbeknownst to them, you've asked for permission. I hope, if you're a gentleman, you did. And then to go by the ring, sweating bullets, you hope she likes it. And then to get down on one knee in front of her and others and ask her to be your wife. And if she says yes, the joy that that brings is something you will cherish the rest of your life. How great it is to find the one you're meant to be with.
Karen and Pam, Dan and Tammy, Pastor and Bev, me and Jennifer. Sometimes it's taken a few to find the one, or sometimes you're lucky and you just find the one off the bat. But even greater than all of these, even more better, the bestest, is when you develop a relationship with your one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you walk with him, talk with him, read and understand him, you go to realize that this is what you've been searching for your entire life. And to know through your walking and talking that you were chosen for eternity by an eternal God. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. You, I, we were not chosen because we came. Rather, you came to Jesus because you were chosen. God had you, us, and gave you to Jesus. John 6, 37. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. And now that faith in you that you believe is not a witness to any prior power that resided in you. Is a witness to God's choosing you. A testimony to something so small is not a testimony to something so small as self-determination. It is a testimony of the same power that created the universe. That we were dead and now we're alive. Ephesians 2.5 That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is not only by God's grace that you were saved. We were dead in trespasses, our sins, but he made us alive together with Christ. Any group or person who boasts that there is something in them that justifies his choosing you hasn't experienced it for themselves. 1 Corinthians 1, 29-31. 1, 29. Okay. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 
that as it was written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Second Timothy one nine. He who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Romans 8, 28-30 And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Another translation, instead of invited, says called you. So let's talk a minute about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was called to proclaim Jerusalem's coming judgment. Jeremiah 1, 5 through 10. God tells Jeremiah that he knew him before he formed him in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. O Savior Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, Don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I have put words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Jeremiah being called to be a prophet. And then we go to Isaiah 6, 1 through 11. It was in the year of King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne in the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty sephirim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, 
It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the sephirim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. And he said, Yes, go and say to this people, Listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? And he replied, until their towns are empty, their houses are destroyed, and the whole country is a wasteland. Fits a little bit with today. And you see how both Jeremiah and Isaiah had their lips touched. Isaiah was called into a hostile nation that was not wanting to hear what he had to say. And then we move to Elijah. Elijah means Jehovah is my God. He was, proclaimed, he was called to proclaim that Yahweh was the one true God and to oppose all the false God worshipers. 1 Kings 18, 17 through 18, we see when Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. Listen to this. He said, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. In 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah stood in front of them and said, How, how much longer will you waver, hobbling, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Bel is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. We've touched on this before, but how true is this today? People waving from doctrine to doctrine. Somebody writes a new book or comes out with a new video and they're all over it. The, the, the love message that Terry brought up that we talked about briefly again tonight before sermon of how they're all-inclusive, that no matter what, their sin or abomination, it's okay. God is love. Just keep speaking and preaching love, and everything will be okay, even to the point that it's destroying our very churches and our children. 1 Kings 18, 36-38. At the usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, 
O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you are, O Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from the heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and, all, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. Elijah was not very well liked. His message was harsh and hard to take. But God gave him victory. God kept him. Now let's go to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who was foretold by a previous prophet in Isaiah 43. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance. For the remission of their sins. How much do you hear churches today? Declaring Jesus to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. He, ex he accepted, acknowledged, and knew his call. He separated himself unto his calling. His food was different, his dress was different, his attitude was different. He fasted and prayed continually and waited upon the Lord. He knew from birth he was called for something. And he let nothing of the world get in the way of that. He set himself apart. He did without anything that the rest of the world had. Because he knew he had a calling and he waited patiently for the Lord to say, okay, it's time. As we briefly mentioned, and there's plenty more examples all the minor prophets of men being called for a plan and a purpose chosen by God to fulfill something to bring a message to a nation or to a people but it wasn't easy and they suffered a lot The whole time that we've been doing Sunday nights, suffering has is is been a theme. 
understanding who the Jesus of this book is and not what the world is trying to tell you Jesus is. And that suffering may come upon you, especially if you will not relinquish your standing in Jesus and do as he has called you to do. Y'all just said it. Speaking truth is not easy. Sometimes that comes with backlash from the world. But Christians, and pastor said it today, I ended with it last week, on a call to the churches to wake up their sleeping sheep because we're weak. We're unprepared and unwilling and unready to get our hair ruffled. And that is at the sake of others losing their souls to hell. If we understand the truth, then we are called to a higher purpose. We are called to a deeper understanding that they don't know because they're still lost. If we don't proclaim the truth to them, then we're basically pushing them off the cliff. Say, have fun in hell. But are there churches or Christians that are willing to stand and say, please, my brother, don't go to hell. It's a real place. And you're going to be there for eternity. Let me tell you what hell is like. And then let me tell you what Jesus is like. But instead, we just see continuous band-aids being put on. Cover it up. It's all right. Don't ruffle your feathers. Don't go against the world. Just conform. Be happy. Just post this on your Facebook. Post this on your Instagram. Just follow along. Fall in line. Be a good little boy. No. That's not what Jesus called us to do. We are not supposed to stay in the line. We are called apart, set apart, set aside, because we have something to say. We don't say the same things of the world, or else we'd be no different of the world. We are not loved by the world, or else we would be of the world. We are set apart of the world, we're not of the world, and therefore the world hates us. If you can't stand being hated, God is not for you. If you can't stand someone's cussing in your face or someone saying that that God is not for me or someone cussing your God in your face because you're trying to tell them about salvation, then go back home, I guess. Because the whole thing I've been trying to say since we started this is to get you prepared for going out. If you believe what you read, if you believe that you've been saved, if you believe in your salvation, then part of that, as Pastor said this morning, when's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? And with that, regardless of what the rest of the world, the churches are saying, does it bring prosperity and riches and fame and fortune? A lot of times it brings somebody spitting in your face somebody calling you a bunch of bad names or somebody making threats against you because you're ruffling or going against the way they want to live their lives. But don't get me wrong, you're not doing it out of hate or anger or spite. You're doing it because they're going to go to hell. You're doing it because you love them enough that you want to try to save them. You at least want to offer them a hand and say, let me catch you from falling off the edge. 
at least let me extend my hand to you. Whether you choose to take it or not, that's still up to you. John got locked up in prison and was beheaded because of what he was asked to do. Matthew 14, 3 through 10. For Herod, 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 Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philippi. So basically he took his brother's wife and made her his. John had been telling him, Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry her. He's only speaking the truth, right? Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. I can only imagine. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted because of her dance. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king, because he got caught, lusting, regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guest, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in the prison. He gave his life for Christ. Jeremiah 20, 1 through 6. Now, Pasher, son of Emer, the priest in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah was prophesying. So he arrested Jeremiah the prophet and had him whipped and put in stocks at the Benjamin gate of the Lord's temple. So what was Jeremiah doing? Simply doing what God had asked him to do. But as we just mentioned, do people like having their mail read? Do they like truth being told to them? Are they comfortable in their sin and in their lies? They made peace with it, and they'd rather others to join them in their sin than to admit that they're sinning. <clears throat> the Lord has changed your name. From now on, you are to be called the man who lives in Terah. For this is what the Lord says, I will send terror upon you and all your friends and you will watch as they are slaughtered by the swords of the enemy. I will hand the people of Judah over to the king of Babylon. He will take them captive to Babylon or run them through with the sword. And I will let you, your enemies plunder Jerusalem, all the famed treasures of the city, the precious jewels and gold and silver of your kings will be carried off to Babylon. As for you, Pasher, you and all your household will go as captives to Babylon. There you will die and be buried, and you and all your friends to whom you prophesied that everything would be all right. Hear that? What are so many people saying right now? Jesus isn't coming. 
We're not in the last days. It's just a hiccup in the road. It's all happened before. We've seen it all before. It's all going to go back to normal. Everything will be all right. The Babylons are still coming. They're just regrouping. But I promise, they're still coming. It's amazing how quick the human mind forgets. One rough spot, and oh my God, the world's coming to an end. As soon as they back pressure off a little bit, oh, everything's good. We're fine. Don't worry about it. Nothing's going to happen. It won't happen again. Nothing's coming. In Jeremiah 38, we see Jeremiah had been telling the people, had been saying, This is what the Lord says Everyone who stays in Jerusalem will die from war, famine, or disease, but those who surrender to the Babylonians will live. Their reward will be life. They will live. The Lord also says the city of Jerusalem will certainly be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. So these officials went to the king and said, Sir, this man must die. That kind of talk will undermine the moral of the few fighting men we have left, as well as that of all the people. Hold on. I think Pastor said this morning, or maybe it was Bob, I don't know. But one man can start making a change or a difference. We know how corrupt people are. Our government is. If one person was called by God and had the boldness to go and speak truth in front of them, how long do you think they would let that last? We read it right there. Will undermine not their morals because they don't really have any morals. Will undermine their agendas, their plans. Will expose their lies. So they must kill him. Next. King Zebekiah, bless you, agreed. All rights, he said. Do as you like. I can't stop you. So the officials took Jeremiah from the cell and lowered him by ropes into the empty cistern in the prison yard. It belonged to Malachijah. A member of the royal family, there was no water in the cistern, but there was a thick layer of mud at the bottom, and Jeremiah sank down into it. But Ebed Malik, the Ethiopian, an important court official, heard that Jeremiah was in the cistern, and that, at that time, the king was holding court at the Benjamin Gate. So Ebed Malika rushed from the palace to speak with him. 
My lord, the king, he said, these men have done a very evil thing in putting Jeremiah the prophet into the cistern. He will soon die of hunger, for almost all the bread in the city is gone. So the king told Ebed-Melech, take 30 of my men with you and pull Jeremiah out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to a room in the palace beneath the treasury where he found some of the old rags and discarded clothing. He carried these to the cistern and lowered them to Jeremiah on a rope. He called down to Jeremiah, put the rags under your armpits to protect you from the ropes. Then when Jeremiah was ready, they pulled him out. So Jeremiah was returned to the courtyard of the guard, the palace prison where he remained. That's enough. So even though they hated Jeremiah and wanted him dead for what he was speaking, God seemed to it that he was saved. We see in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 4, that even the great prophet Elijah feared for his life. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me down, strike me, and even kill me. If by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. The point of Jeremiah 38, the point of Elijah, is that these men were persecuted for what God had them do. They were hated to the point that they wanted them to die for speaking the truth. But God kept them. Doesn't mean they didn't get whipped. Doesn't mean they didn't get thrown into a cistern. Doesn't mean they had a little hiccup. But God kept them. Well, it really did my heart good to hear the message that my pastor preached this morning. To talk with my brother Dan and to know that I'm not the only one who has felt like yanking somebody back from the fire. And also to hear Brother Terry and, and Sister Pam on their YouTube channel and anytime I've heard Brother Terry teach, the books that he's written that I've read. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Elijah, where Elijah thought he was the only one left, and God 
promptly reminded him that you are not the only one left. So it's nice for me to know with what God has put upon my heart that others who I look up to say the same thing. For so long, since before I even started getting to teach or preach, I wanted to fight to save people. That doesn't mean that I just love them. That means I want to get in their face and say, look, buddy, you're going to go to hell unless you change your ways. But for a long time, I thought that was wrong of me to feel that way. For a long time, I thought it was wrong of me to get in somebody's face and tell them that they're going to go to hell. But I thought I had to do it completely benign, low-key, and just tell them it's going to be okay, that we love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. We have to show love. But at some point, when you've loved on somebody for so long and they keep going down the same hole to hell, you have to intervene in some form or way. Otherwise, you're just going to love them right into hell. Because you didn't stand in front of them or grab them by the collar and say, Look, listen, hold on a second. Same kind of love that God. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Battlefield of the Mind was, uh, it was really good for me. Because. I shared this with Dan a little bit last time he was at the house. Terry has shared this also. I was not called to be a tutti frutti pastor. I was not called tickle your ears and love you I said go live your life how you want and I'll see you next Sunday a lot of my messages are not always what people want to hear sometimes they might seem a little dry There's not a lot of humor or a lot of feel-good in them. But that is what I was called to bring. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to try to keep you from going to hell. (laughs) 
So Battlefield of Mind was great for me because for so long since I've been doing this, the war rages in my mind all the time. The words pop up all the time. All the time. That you're not good enough. Nobody wants to hear what you're saying. Nobody likes it. Nobody shows up because they don't want to hear the truth. You're just wasting your breath. You're wasting your time. You might as well just quit. Drop it. Be done. Just let pastor do Sundays. Walk away. Every week I fight this same battle. Every week. Because no one wants to hear it. No one wants to sit here. No one wants to sit in a church every Sunday and listen to sins being called out. The things happening around the world that are abomination to God's word, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them uneasy. And sometimes it makes them check themselves. And they don't like it. They want to come to church, get pumped up, revived, feel good, and go home. Not to be awakened to the battle that rages around them every single day. Them, their kids, their spouses, their households, their governments. I don't want to know about that. I just want to stay in my bubble. I want to keep feeling good and wait till Jesus comes and takes me home. How is that going out and winning souls? It's not because they're asleep. So if I've been put on this earth for nothing else, then it's to try and wake sleeping sheep up before the wolves come and eat their heads off. And in any form or way I can, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it till they kill me, or I can't do it no more. Because it's a burning inside of me that I can't stop. I want to try and preach something nice. I sit down, I try to write a nice, feel-good sermon, and three sentences into it, and it turns into, you're going to go to hell. I try to fight it. I try to resist it, but I can't. So... In somewhat of a nutshell, I'm trying to say that in, in the time that we've got to do Sunday nights, I have, I've learned for sure what my calling is. I knew I was called to be a preacher and a teacher, but now I know I'm not a feel-good pastor, and I have to accept that. I had to accept it for myself first before I could really embrace what God called me to do, because I didn't want to be hated. I didn't want to be the pastor that nobody wanted to come and see because they didn't want to hear truth. They didn't want to get their sins and their lies called out. I didn't want to be that pastor. I wanted to be the pastor that came on Sunday and everybody felt great, felt good, praising God, and went home excited for the rest of the week. The first thing, come here. Well, well, we love you anyway. And I'll tell you what. It isn't you. It's the word that people need to get in them and understand that God gave it to us to help us and to learn us up, to grow us up, 
to keep from being offended, to understand the maturity comes from only God because it is tough. It is arduous. There is going to be tribulation. And he delivers us from it all. Because we know the end of the story. We know that he wrote it for our benefit. Every God-breathed word between those two ends right there are what our guideposts are. And we need to relight that lampstand. We need to be part of that reignition that has to go forth and to let souls understand that there is an alternative to walking that wide path to destruction. That's what you say. You're just telling them, look, it's a narrow path. It's not me, it's the word. Open it for yourself. Just like pastor says all the time, the more word you get into you, that's right. That's right. And that's exactly what it says. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. You went through all those prophets. They were still trying to say the same thing. And human beings were just like, oh, no, 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 no. And those people that don't want to come hear the truth, well, that's why we go out of this building every day. That's right. And blessed are the feet of the people that bring the word. Just like Pastor said this morning, you know, uh, I forget who he quoted, but before there can be a great awakening, there has to be a rude awakening. I was uh, witnessing to some people on a uh, Twitter spaces. I think that they told Dan about this uh, last week. And I was saying that we need, the church has been, for too long has been told to sit down, shut up, sit in the corner, don't say anything, we don't want your opinion. And we've basically been abused into doing it, into accepting it. And I said, it's, we can't do that anymore. We've got to stand up. We've got to, we've got to fight back. Because we, there are people out there dying. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the movie Troy. The reaction of that one general, he sees his cohorts out on the beach fighting. He picks up one of the guys that's rowing. He throws him off. He grabs that oar and he says, row, Greeks are dying. Our brothers and sisters are dying. They're lost and they're dying. And sometimes we have to be rude. If you saw somebody walking towards a cliff, first you'd say, hey, you might not want to do that. The closer they get, the louder you're going to get. Eventually, you might stand in front of them, and they may still barrel over you. But you've got to do something. Yeah, besides the 12 people that are filming. That's a bystander role. Um, but what was interesting is whenever I was saying that we can't be silent, is somebody tuned in, or somebody somebody chimed in and said, uh, well, you know, I think we should just remain humble. Like, what's more humble than telling everybody, hey, we all suck. That's why we need a Savior. Amen. 
Good point. And what that person said is what breaks my heart. And that's the laziness and sleepiness of the church. Because they've been told it's better off if you just let it ride. Don't get involved. Don't call out sin for what it is. You see that person walking towards the cliff, or you see a person standing on the side of a bridge fixing junk. Are you going to stand there and say, hey, I love you? Or are you going to reach out and grab them and say your life is worth way more than this? You have a purpose and a plan in life. You have a God who created the universe and is above all things that took time to make you, you. So don't throw it away over some senseless form of life that somebody said something to you, something didn't go right. Learn what that almighty God has for you. So, understand what breaks your hearts. I hope that your hearts are still broken. It doesn't happen every day, but there are some days when some particular thing happens or Holy Spirit puts some particular thing on my heart and I'll pace around the house just bawling, bawling because my heart breaks and aches for what I've seen or heard. I pray that your hearts still break. So sometimes you might have to get A little aggressive. A little dirty. A little roughed up. In order to help people see how much Jesus does love them. Sacrificing of yourself the benefit of others because you have your salvation you know where your eternal home is is it right to hoard that and not share it with others but you are to do as the Lord has put upon you to do and if you don't know for sure what that is, ask the Holy Spirit to tell you. Seek what breaks your heart. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil world, governments, political parties, or anyone else who has a hatred for me. For you are with me. You prepare a table before me 
in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember that. When you have to go into war, when you have to go to battle for something or someone, when that woe is me starts twinkling into your head, remember that. James 1, 2, and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Sorry, I like to give her a hard time. Can you do James 3, 1? Speaking of preaching the truth. My brethren, let not many of you te become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. None of my pastors in this church are going to be in that line. None of them. They're going to get a go on, uh, just don't pay any attention to those yahoos, uh, straight through the gates. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. John and I were sitting on the stage Wednesday night after church talking about the way things are and the way things have been and the way things are we know where they're going people want the old normal back when we were talking about that I said I, I don't, I, we don't want it back abortion was freely taken for granted every day sin was still building people, were, people of the Lord were still taking steps backwards uh, accepting the perverseness that our country's become, uh, we don't want that. And the uh, um, the fight the fight is on. And uh, <laughs> you're not going to beat me. You're not going to beat me with your sickness and your pervertedness and your satanic uh, rhetoric. And uh, uh, none of it's none of it's going to happen about me, for me, or in me. And uh, that's the end of the story. Uh, a great awakening, a rude awakening. I wasn't in here to hear that, but I got the gist. Amen, Jeff. Thank you. That, that's one thing that I still... Terry mentioned a, a particularly good pastor. There's, there's, there's some really good pastors uh, still left. But when you when you when you listen, hear, see pastors that are 
not remembering that verse. And they're not preparing their flocks for what lies ahead. They're not getting them ready and watching and waiting, leading them. Yes, oftentimes even, yes. And when I see that, my heart cries. Just yesterday I heard a pastor saying that the Bible could not be written by the Holy Spirit because that's not how that's not how books are written. There's a process to writing a book. Terry knows how to write a book. But does Terry think that the Bible was not written by the Holy Spirit? No. Yep. And to hear some of the stuff, that it just points more and more to the times that we're in, man. There is no denying it. The only reason that churches are still denying it is because they're completely asleep and they don't see what's happening around them. Yes. And it's sad. How much of our church brethren and sisters are walking around like zombies? Sometimes you want to walk up. It, this might get you punched in the face, or it might get them crying at your feet. You never know. Um, sometimes you see the way people are living their life, and sometimes you just want to walk up to them and say, you're stupid, you're arrogant, you're full of malice, you're full of sin, you're full of pride, and you're as mean as a damn grizzly bear. But you know what? Jesus still loves you. He loved me enough to save me out of my sin. He can love you enough to save you out of your sin. Sometimes people don't even realize what they are unless they're told. Sometimes they don't know how much of an arrogant butt they are unless you say, man, you are really arrogant. But you know what? Jesus still loves you. You know you've messed up in your life. You've done this, you've done that. You're hooked on, on cocaine right now. You're a heroin dealer. You know, that's really bad. But Jesus still loves you. And he doesn't want you to go to hell. But this path you're on, this life you're living is broad and really slippery slope. And before you know it, with that death angel walking on your heels, you could take your last breath and then you could spend an eternity in hell. Or I can share with you about and you can have an opportunity to give your life to him and confess him as Lord and Savior. And you can find redemption and salvation through Jesus Christ. Or I can ignore you and tell you I love you and have a nice day and just watch you walk off the cliff. It's not easy. Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. Was it easy for Jesus when he was here? No. But none of our churches want to talk about having a rough life. So I'm going to end with that. I just really want you all to understand. 
heart breaks a lot. The more stuff I see, Terry and I were just talking about some horrible stuff. In the church. And like I said, I know the whole time I've been doing this that sometimes it might seem like I'm just talking a bunch of doom and gloom. But in all honesty, I'm just trying to get you and whoever's listening to be ready for what's coming. Prepared and looking for the opportunities to speak about Jesus. To see the signs that are happening around us, the ever-increasing lawlessness of this world. So that you can be aware of what's going on. You can be aware of what Satan's doing. That you can see it. And that you can combat it can pray against it. You can stand against it. Or just keep your blinders on and pretend like nothing ever happens. Some, the fact is, some people are irredeemable. But we don't know who they are. Only God knows. And therefore, it's up to us to go out regardless. They may look like they're irredeemable, but we've got to share the gospel with them some way because ultimately it's not you and me sharing. It's not our job to get them saved. It's the Holy Spirit that will anoint your words. I just want to encourage you too, John, because, you know, Terry and I have been doing this a long time, and in my own family... Yeah, there's people I'm still praying for. I have a niece and a nephew that are caught up in homosexuality, and there's all kinds of things going on. And it's got to the point in my family where, and I have a big family, where it's like, oh, boy, here comes Pam. You know, but let me tell you, God will take them through. As we pray for them, God takes them through the pig pen, rather. And when push comes to shove, let me tell you who they're going to call. When somebody needs prayer, they're going to call you. They're going to remember. So sometimes we can get discouraged and feel like we're not making any headway. But as we continue to pray, as you know, God is working on them. And so don't be surprised if some of these people that you think, man, I just don't know, you won't get a call sometime. And they're saying, you know, John, will you pray for me? So I just wanted to encourage you in that way. Amen. That's good. You know, you, you were talking about the scripture where it talks about, you know, the remission of sins. And you heard me say, you know, remission. That's a, that's a really interesting word that they use there. And just out of curiosity, I looked up, like, the definition of the word, and it actually had it on Wikipedia. And I want to read this, and I want you guys to think about this through the lens of sin, through the lens of the spirit. It says, remission is either the reduction of or disappearance of the signs and symptoms of a disease. A complete remission, also called a full remission, is the total disappearance of the signs and symptoms of a disease. A person whose condition is in complete remission may be considered cured or recovered. Relapse is a certain term 
to describe returning symptoms of the disease after a period of remission. In cancer treatment, doctors usually avoid the term cured and instead prefer the term no evidence of disease. To refer to a complete remission of cancer, which does not rule out the possibility of relapse. But that's in human terms. When you have a God that made all things, when he says you're cured, you're cured from the disease of sin. (laughs) Good one, Colin. I like that. We all have a sin that leads to death. But I know who has the cure. Amen. Good one, Colin. Um, so, Dan, uh, do you want service on the 26th? Are you going to be available to have service Sunday night on the 26th? So, I asked Terry like a month ago if he would come and speak about Israel. You still good with that? If you just, uh, if you come and speak about Israel on the 26th, that night? That night on the 26th? Sunday after. Sunday after. Okay. Okay. So, well, Absolutely. You can end it there. Jennifer, you can end it. So, 